Would you please turn with me in uh, your copies of God's Word to John chapter 11? The book of John chapter 11, we are going to be in the first 16 verses this morning. Uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. I'm going to read that portion of Scripture, and, and then we'll spend some, some time thinking about it and reflecting on what that means for us. But listen carefully now, because this is the Word of God. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he, was, that he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that, he, that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Amen. Uh, Would you pray with me as we go now to his word? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. It, It sheds light on our life. And now, by your word, shed light. Help us to see you a bit more clearly because of what you have said to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So some of you, a lot of you probably might be familiar with this passage, John chapter 11. It's this uh, amazing narrative that culminates in Jesus raising uh, his friend Lazarus from the dead. And we we read the the first part of it, kind of the, the intro section, I guess you could say. Uh, That's what this chapter is about. Jesus raises uh, a dead man. And it's the perfect lens through which to see much of life in this world, serving Christ. Uh, A little bit of background is important for us. Uh, In chapter 10, what happens is Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication. Uh, and, And so that would have been probably around like equivalent to us late December or mid to late December is when that feast typically happened in the year. Um, but Jesus has been ministering for a while. He's kind of well known at this point, and his enemies know about him, and, and they, they already don't like him. 
It's, it's, it's well past the point of anonymity for Jesus. And so when he's in the temple, his enemies, the religious leaders, they surround him. Uh, and, and, and as the text has it, they sort of corner him in, the, in this conversation, trying to get him to, to, to out himself as a blasphemer. And, 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 they, and he says things that are deeply offensive to them and they want to do away with him. Some of them pick up stones to, to, to throw at him, to, to stone him and kill him right there. Others try to get him arrested, but in the course of the events, he and his disciples escape. They, they come out of the city and they leave the area. Now, it's, it's probably not less than two months later, but not, more th- not much more than that either. Uh, it's a relatively short period of time and you could say the, 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 the heat in this situation is still very hot. If Jesus returns to Jerusalem, he's a wanted man. Now, uh, this friend, Lazarus, he lives in Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. Basically in Jerusalem, it's, it's, it's almost a suburb of the city. He's sick. As we read, he, the message is sent to Jesus Jesus, come, your friend is sick, you need to help. And that sets the stage for the rest of chapter 11. Now, that might not sound like there are parallels in that story to our life, but there are some very deep parallels, I think. So first of all, Jesus is poised to do this amazing work of restoration in life. Spoiler alert, Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead and, 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 and do we believe that Jesus can still do amazing works of restoration in life? I think we're confronted with, with that right off the bat. But first of all, it's, it's, it's more complicated than that. He seems unfazed by the circumstances that are against him. One set of circumstances, the opposition from the enemies, that make it risky and dangerous for him to go about attempting this work of restoration in life in the first place. And secondly, another set of circumstances that make it seem impossible that Lazarus is dead. You're not supposed to be able to heal dead people. But as we serve Jesus, and as we wait for Jesus to do his work around us, God calls us to be involved in this kind of work as well. And I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but life in the church, walking in the community of a church as it seeks to continue its ministry, especially through transitions and through ups and downs. It can feel risky and difficult on the one hand and impossible on the next. And if you're not experiencing that, that it's possible you're not following Jesus at all or you're just not paying attention. And in chapter 11, especially in in these verses as we look at them this morning, I want to show you and I want you to see Just a a, a distinct flavor for what it's like to wait with Jesus and then follow Jesus in that kind of situation when it's difficult, dangerous, and impossible for him to do his work. And, and, And we learn from Jesus three important things here. One is the glory of God. Two is the love of God. And three is our response. And those will be our points this morning. The glory of God, the love of God, and our response. First of all, the glory of God. Glory is the great goal behind everything. And specifically, the glory of God as it's revealed in Jesus. That's why everything happens. 
The way it happens and the time that it happens is because it's specifically intended by God to reveal his glory. And glory throughout the Gospels, we have various places where we could go and see, this being one of them, where Jesus does what he does because it will reveal God's glory. And that's true even when we cannot see it, when we cannot understand it, when we don't know how or why this is ever going to lead to God's glory. Case in point, our text. It's not hard to imagine the agony that Jesus and the disciples would have been feeling when they heard the news that Lazarus is sick. Jesus knows what he's capable of. He can go and help Lazarus. The disciples know what he's capable of too. This would not be the first sick person that Jesus heals. But they also know that if they go back, it's incredibly dangerous. What are they going to do? The dilemma is there. So, and so I think this dilemma of what they're going to choose to do is, is a, a subtext through this whole set of verses. And Jesus speaks in verse 4. This is very interesting to me. He says, this illness is not leading to death. It doesn't incline towards death. It's not pointing to death. It's pointing to something else. And, and it's important we don't miss what Jesus is saying, it, it, that we don't miss his perspective because it's easy to mistake it for something else that's somewhat common for us. For example, you, you, you could hear Jesus there uh, speaking sort of in the place of a knowledgeable physician, an, an, an experienced physician, uh, saying something like, well, you know, I've seen this before, and Lazarus, he's got about an 80% chance to live. But, you know, 80% is pretty good, and I'd say he, it's not going to lead to death. He's, you know, with, with rest and some fluids, he's going he's to pull through. But that's not the perspective with which Jesus speaks. If you go on to the rest of what he says right after, he follows it up with, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I've never heard a doctor say that. I've never heard a doctor say, you got sick so that I can show off my power. You see, in general, God's glory is his unmistakable, overwhelming display of his beauty and his goodness and his truth. Uh, and he, he, he does it through creation. He does it through the way he, he works and shows love to his people. But specifically, God's glory is most of all displayed through Jesus. Uh, so Andreas Kostenberger, who is a commentator on, on this and, and other texts, in the New Testament, uh, he says, here as elsewhere in the gospel, in John's gospel, God's self-disclosure, the way God reveals himself, takes place preeminently in his son. It's a good theological reminder for us, maybe. How do you, like, the closest thing we can know as to what Jesus, uh, as to what God is like, is to look at Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But, but, but so for here specifically, I, I want you to see specifically in this situation when Jesus says this illness is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He's saying this illness, through it, I am going to show off to the world God in a way that it has not been, in a, in a way that he has not been seen before, in a way that you've never seen before. I'm going to show you what God is like through this illness. That is Jesus' work that he is about in all kinds of different ways, showing off what God is like through different situations, whether we can see it or not as it's unfolding. That's his work. 
And for us, as his people, his servants, who work for Jesus, we have to replace, or at least hold in, 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 a, in a healthy tension, the perspective that plans and sees percentages and wants to make a safe decision all the time, which is usually a pretty good way to go about things. We need to hold that in balance with, but let's remember that our Lord sees things differently. That he is about something deeper than just the, the safe bet all the time. That he is at work in a way in, 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 at a level of depth that we could never imagine, working for God's glory. And what this means is that he is absolutely comfortable with the category of risk and danger. He's comfortable with it. Let me say it another way. There's nothing in this world that's too sacred for him to risk for the sake of revealing God's glory. And as we work for him, we have to submit our lives to that, to him. Uh, you, you, it, the, the last two words in verse 4 are through it. Th- those are unsettling words. Through it. What is it? The disease. It's through the disease, Jesus says, that I will reveal God's glory. We, we don't like it when he says through it. We would have wanted him at, at most to say in spite of this illness, you're, you're still going to see God's glory. But Jesus says no, through it. In service to Jesus, on the one hand, we always risk losing or, something, losing or risking something for the glory of God. But on the other hand, in that possibility of loss, there is an amazing possibility that that prospect of loss is only really an, an unlocked door through which Jesus might walk and call us to follow him so that we would see a glory that we would not have seen if we stayed back self-protectively. We need to remember that our Lord is always about something deeper, and that deeper thing is the glory of God. But, but, but that leads to our second point, the love of God. The love of God is also what Jesus is up to. His, his love for really everyone involved in the passage, the disciples, the sisters, and Lazarus himself, is the purpose for him staying behind. And, and this is something that just does not make sense uh, on, on first, maybe even tenth reading. Um, often the glory of God seems like a great thing in theory, but then in real time, uh, we wonder as to whether this is really going to be for our good. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus is really close with, with Mary and Martha and, and, and Lazarus, multiple indications in the text lead us to see that, the way that they speak to him, the way that Jesus speaks of them, and later on in the passage, it's confirmed the way that he interacts with Mary and Martha as they're grieving, and, and, and the way that he, that, that he himself shows emotion at seeing Lazarus' death. Relationally and emotionally, in one sense, even though Jesus sees the glory of God perspective, the great purpose for which everything is going, he still feels pain and hurt when he sees his friends' pain and hurt. But, and, and, and verse 5 in our passage exists to just remind us that Jesus loved them, to affirm that he loved them, but then that doesn't really square, at least to us, with verse 6. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. When he heard that this, this brother of these two sisters that he loved and his dear friend, the friend of the, the disciples, faithful people to him when, they, when he was ill, appreciating the gravity of the situation and knowing what he's capable of, he decided to stay where he was. Uh, we, can, we can construct something of a timeline from the, the, the details in the text of uh, what was going on here. And, and we also know, most likely, that Jesus and his disciples were in a region probably 100 miles north of, of Bethany, where Lazarus and his sisters were. And it, it would have taken four days to, to, to walk um, from Bethany to this place where they were. So, uh, likely, the timeline looks something like this. Lazarus gets sick. The sisters send a messenger. The messenger takes four days to get to Jesus and the disciples. So they hear about Lazarus four days after he got sick. That's four days of being in a sickness that, yes, will lead to death. Probably wasn't pleasant. They hear about it, and Jesus decides to wait. For the final two agonizing days of Lazarus's life, Jesus and his disciples are just waiting, waiting, waiting. A day passes, waiting, waiting. Another day passes, and then Lazarus dies. And then Jesus says, okay, now let's go. In verse 11, Lazarus is called the beloved, uh, the one that we love, Jesus reminds his disciples. He says that he has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples don't know yet, but Jesus knows Sleep here refers to Lazarus' death. Lazarus has died, but we are going to go to him now. And, and what the disciples miss and what the Mary and, her, and, and Martha probably would have missed is that this is not just a, a cold statement of Jesus thinking about the ultimate purpose and using people in the, situ, in the situation as pawns to achieve the glory of God. This is his love as well. You could take a highlighter in this text uh, and, and highlight, say, blue, where Jesus is speaking in a, in a God-glorifying kind of way, or red, where he's speaking primarily in a loving way. But here, probably everywhere else too, but here especially, you would have to use purple because it's both. You cannot reduce these words in verse 11 to either just glory or love. They're, they're together. Jesus has a dual purpose to declare war against the death that is afflicting the one that he loves and the death that is afflicting the glory of God. Jesus wants to magnify God's glory by magnifying his love. And even though we can't see it, that's what he's up to. And, and so then there's this deep God's glory and God's love logic in Jesus that we need to sit with and, and dwell with and meditate on here. D.A. Carson says, Lazarus' death and resurrection that follows are not only to glorify the Father and the Son, but are for the good of Lazarus and his sisters. 
And, and, and I want you to just put yourself in their perspective, in their place. They don't have Jesus' perspective. They don't know that a resurrection is coming. So that you might as well read that statement by D.A. Carson as saying, Lazarus' death is not just to glorify the Father and Son, but is also good for Lazarus and his sisters. His death is good for him and his sisters? Yes. Somehow. Somehow that is how... Christ will work this out. You see, he deeply, fully, and unwaveringly loves you and your family, your, your career, uh, your, your wealth, your well-being, your, your, your health, your mental health, your joy, and your peace. All of those things are important to Jesus. But sometimes you have to give some of those things up for your good and for God's glory. You have to give those things up as Jesus calls you to give them up or brings about a circumstance in your life where you have to give them up. And when I say it's for your good, I'm not talking about some kind of silver lining or some kind of thing that you're going to walk through and be stronger for. No, this is a kind of thing that will weaken you. But even that weakness will be for your good. And again, it, it, it doesn't makes sense in the moment, but I don't, think it, I don't think we're really called primarily for it to make sense in the moment. It's kind of like if you were playing a game of poker, but Jesus was on your team. And at first you're thinking, okay, that's a, that's a really good advantage because he knows the cards that are going to come, right? Uh, so you're sitting there and you're dealt the hand and you're like, okay, Jesus, we're definitely not going to play this one. So look at those cards. They're terrible. And Jesus says, all in. And you're like, wait a minute, there's no way that this could end well. And Jesus says, trust me, all in. See, sometimes we're, in life, we're sitting with a terribly dealt hand and all we have is Jesus sitting next to us saying, trust me, trust me. So what's, what, what's that like for you? When all you have is the voice of Jesus saying, trust me. Right now you want a resolution. You want healing. Maybe it is a situation where you actually have heard a, a, a medical professional give you some kind of percentage chance and a prognosis And Jesus is saying, trust me. Maybe it's, it's, it's a career that seems like a dead end or a struggle in your family or the fact that you're longing for something that's not coming. And the, the chances of things going well for you are, are seeming to go lower and lower and lower. And Jesus is saying, trust me. When we're in that kind of a situation, the the glory of God and the love of God calls us to wait and also calls us to anticipate a response. And our response is is the third point that I want to focus on. The third thing I want us to think about and to see is the response that the disciples give to Jesus when he calls them 
to wait, and to trust, and then eventually to go. So let's, let's, let's go down in the passage to that definitive point and focus on that definitive point where Jesus says, okay, we're done waiting, we're going to go. Professional opinion, Jesus, the, the 80% Jesus, he would not have gone. Professional opinion, Jesus would have said, well, you know what, I thought that this wouldn't have led to death. I gave him an 80% chance, but in an 80% chance situation, there's still a one in five that is going to lead to death. And this time... That happened. It's too bad, but that's the way it goes sometimes. But that's not the Jesus that we serve. We don't serve professional opinion Jesus. We serve the Lord Jesus. And when Lazarus died, his chances of survival dropped from 80 to 0%. And that is what signals Jesus to go, to act. He's not just playing percentages. Uh, and and he's, he's, he's really not. And that doesn't mean for us that planning and paying attention to statistics and data and doing, and doing the, the, the safe thing most of the time, that, that's not saying that that's bad. In fact, it's good. We should. Why? Because we're not Jesus. And we can't see the ultimate end that things are heading to. And he calls us to be good stewards of what we've been given. And often that means figuring out through wisdom what the best way forward is. But even while we're doing that, we need to keep his perspective in our mind. So at the, last, the end of last month, I mentioned uh, earlier that we're church planting. Uh, and and in, in the PCA, uh, we, we don't church plant all by ourselves, even though sometimes it feels like that. We're not all by ourselves. We, we, have, uh, we have oversight from the church planting network that, that's, that's, uh, that's here working with our presbytery. We're also working underneath the session of Trinity Church Seattle in, in, in different ways. And so there are people speaking into our ministry. And at the end of last month, we went through a process of assessing a number of goals that we had set a few months before. And we, we reached and meet, met some of those goals, and some other goals we didn't meet. Um, goals around number of people on the launch team, uh, financial goals, things like that. And there, there are some that we hit, there's some that we didn't quite reach, and so we, we assessed why did things not go well in some ways, why did things go well in other ways, what are the chances that this thing works out? Which, trust me, is, is a risky and difficult unsettling conversation to have with your oversight. Johnny, what are the chances that this is going to work out? Give, in fact, Johnny, give us all the information that you have so that we can figure out for you what your chances are. And by the way, we're going to make a decision as to whether this thing continues or not based on that. That is an unsettling position to be in. Um, me and my family, we have a lot riding on this. That's an unsettling position to be in. Now, there's a greater than zero chance that it doesn't work out, but through prayer and, and wisdom and a period of time, we decided to keep going. To keep going. And through that whole process, as we were kind of deep in this planning, weighing percentages, figuring out our chances uh, uh, mentality, what was incredibly life-giving to me was also just finding Christ's perspective in it as well. 
because you can't just agonize over this and not also plan for the future with this hope in mind as well. I realize that Jesus does not only see things this way. He sees things this way. He sees the way, and I believe that he sees the way in which the goals that we hit and the goals that we failed to hit will ultimately lead to the greater glory of God in our ministry. And so, Jesus sees the way in which the things that are going well in your life and the things that are not going well in your life will converge to lead to the greater glory in your life. The things that are going well in your church and the things that are not going well in your church will lead to the greater glory of God in this community. That's what he can see. And that's what he is actively working towards, even as you wait and work and weigh percentages. And because that's how Jesus sees things, we need to adjust, we need to do this while adjusting our hope and our vision and our priorities according to his hope and vision and priorities. And, 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 and there will come times, invariably, for as, as long as we have to wait, there will come times, whether it's circumstantial, whether it's through prayer, whether it's other things that just make it seem obvious that Jesus will call you definitively to go, to do something, to make a, a, a change in direction, to to cease waiting and then go, just like he did with the disciples. They're waiting. When are we actually going to go? Are we actually going to go south and help Lazarus? And Jesus, after waiting, says, now we're going to go. This is the time. This is the time to go and see glory. So are we waiting and watching, listening, following Jesus closely, I, I, I want you to look at a few things. I, I want you to look at a few things in this passage as, as we close to really feel and, and, and grasp the call to action that's here. Real quick, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a, a believer, uh, maybe a lot of this has, has seemed a little bit foreign to you, um, but there's something in here for you as well. If you look at at verse 15, Jesus says, let us go to him. Just realize that when when Jesus works and moves definitively because of the glory of God and the love of God, what he is often going to do is to save and help those who are far from him or far from life, who are in trouble. And and so for you, if, if, if that's you here this morning, if, if you're far from God, if you're far from Christ, if you don't know him, it's his will to act and move and come and find people just like you and save you, restore you, help you. And, and, and maybe, I, of course I don't know your story, but maybe you have been asking God for help. Maybe you feel like you've been praying to God and asking for help. Maybe you've never thought about it. Or you've just assumed that he's not there and won't answer. But here's what you do know. Here's what you know. Those things are not reasons not 
to trust that Jesus, or not to think that Jesus is not ever going to move and come and find you and help you and, and show you himself. Just as much as it's his M.O. to kind of wait and, and make us wait, it's also his M.O. to move and to do something in his timing. And what if that timing is coming? What if that timing has come? What if he's leading you right now to, to put your faith in Jesus, to trust him? When, when, when you're sitting there with that hand of cards and you're like, this is really not looking good, and he's saying, you can trust me. You can't trust anyone else definitively, but you can trust me. What would it look like for you to actually trust him and follow him? But if you are a Christian, and especially if you're a member of this community, of this church, I, I, I want you to see a couple things. First of all, from that same verse, verse 15, when, when, when Jesus makes the decision to go and he's dis- explaining it to the disciples and he says, for your sake, I was glad that we were not there to help Lazarus when he was still alive. I just want to point out that when we're there and Jesus is working to help and to save those around us, it's not just good for them, it's eminently good for us. I believe that there are ways that your church is particularly equipped to help and serve your neighbors around you. Surely there are ways that you're doing that already. Surely there are ways that you have done that in the past, and there have got to be ways that you can do that in the future. And as you're doing that, as Jesus leads you to help those around you through evangelism, through service, through, through whatever, it will be good for them to see, it will be good for them for Jesus to, to work for them and save them and help them, but it will be really good for you as well. It will be good for your faith. Jesus promises the disciples that it will help them believe. Maybe that's what you need to see wouldn't it be just so restorative to your faith to see Jesus at work in your neighborhood, in your community, in this, in this church, to, to bring people in, whatever it is? And so as you're waiting, it's tempting to think, maybe, maybe Jesus is done with us. Maybe this is not going to happen. I, I don't think that's true. As you're waiting, just think about how Jesus is waiting he, not, not waiting indecisively. He's waiting for the right time and he knows when it is. He knows when it will come. So don't sleep on that. Don't, don't miss the boat on that. Because when Jesus decides to go, your call is to go with him. And this really is the last thing I want to show you from verse, seven, or verse 16. When Jesus decides to go, what is your calling? It's to be like Thomas. Um, you know, Thomas is called Doubting Thomas because of the interaction later after Jesus' resurrection. That's probably not fair to the man um, because here he's not doubting at all. Um, and Thomas says, uh, let us go that we may die with him as well. He seemed to lead the charge. Um, and, and he shows us beautifully, even comically, that your calling when Jesus moves and calls you to come with him uh, is, 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 is not to figure out why we got to go now. It's not to figure everything out. That's not what Thomas does. Uh, that's, that seems to be what Thomas is utterly incapable of doing. Um, it would have been better, surely, if he had figured things out or pieced a few things together from Jesus' words. He does get things wrong. He says, we're going to go and die. 
Jesus, says, Jesus would have said, no, we're not going to die. But that almost doesn't matter. That's like 1% of the equation. The amazing thing with Thomas is that even though he thinks they're going to die, when Jesus says, let's go, he says, let's go. I'm going to follow Jesus. Even if it leads to death, even if I can't make sense of it, I'm going to go. The, the, the actions and the movements and the words of Jesus are active, actually and totally definitive for Thomas and then for the rest of the disciples as well. I think it's, it's this beautiful faith here. Yeah, I, I think in, in 20 years, when, when those of you uh, that, that are still around are here, Thinking back on this season when you were in these, these couple years after COVID, transitioning from one pastor and an extended pastoral search, hoping for the next guy to come, and then whoever it ends up being in God's providence, he comes and, and, and Lord willing, will lead this church into its next season. As you're looking back on that season of life, you are not going to judge your faithfulness to the Lord based on whether or not you could figure out in the moment everything that Jesus is doing or the reason why Jesus is waiting, the reason why he's not answering your prayers right now, the reason why the, those answers will come later. Your calling is not to figure all of that out. Your calling is to be faithful in the meantime and then when Jesus decides for this community, for this church, it's time to definitively move and act on something, you say, okay, Jesus, we're going to go with you. We're going to follow you. We're going to do what you want us to do. And so continue to do everything that you're doing, worshiping him, serving each other, serving your communities in the ways that you are capable right now. Keep doing that. Keep being faithful. But maybe on top of that behind and uh, and, and, and founding all of that, I think it would be appropriate, based on this passage, to cultivate an expectation, something of a kinetic energy, an excitement, a wonder at what Jesus might do here, what Jesus can do here. Give yourself to that anticipation of seeing the glory and the love of God displayed here <laughs> by God's grace in a way maybe that he has not yet shown. I don't know what Jesus is going to do here. I, I, I don't even hardly know what Jesus is going to do in my own ministry. But what I do know is that when he does it, when he decides to move, the safest and best place to be is right behind him, following him. So let's do that. Amen. Our God, we are, um, <laughs> we, we are ignorant of so many things. Uh, and, and, and we pray that, in, in a sense, we would be comfortable with that. We would learn to be comfortable with that. Of course, may we not be ignorant of your word. May we, uh, may, may we soak up the wisdom and the truth of, of your word. But of all the things that we cannot possibly know, give us a level of comfort there. But help us, most of all, to know that you know all the things that we cannot possibly know, that our Lord and Savior, our King and our Guide knows all the things that we cannot know and he knows exactly why and how they will lead to our good. So help us to love him because of that, to, to, to follow him, to be faithful. Give us your grace 
that we would be a light to each other and to the world around us. And, and, and I pray that you, would, that you would move, that you would come, that you would do a work here that, that, that blows us away with your glory and your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.